Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America, recognizing that Christmas is only two days away. It would be nice to talk about something fun and very Jesus-like. But the truth of the matter is that if you don't have enough water, we got to pray. That's the moral of the story. And in the Republican River Basin, there have been people for quite some time doing more than just praying, finding a way to get water to the needed places to produce things like food. Susan Hutton, communications specialist for the Republican River Basin. You know anything about that? Uh, I know some things about that, Trent. Thanks for having me today. We are so excited to be on your show. Um, So, yeah, I am the communications specialist for a program called Colorado Master Irrigator, which um, is in service to the producers and irrigators out in the Colorado um, part of the Republican River Basin. And our goal is to help producers and support them in becoming um, as water and energy efficient as possible. And then on the back end of that, also in that way, becoming uh, profitable and um, just really trying to help them, you know, continue to farm irrigated, do irrigated farming out there for as long as possible. So that's kind of our goals. It it seems like it would be self-evident that everybody, not just farmers, would want farmers to have access to adequate amount of water, keyword there being adequate water, so that mm-hmm. we have a continued supply of food and everything that comes from that. But the mere fact that we're here talking about it today means that, and we know that the the water's for fighting and access to adequate water continues to be a challenge. How did we get to this point, Susan? Well, um, you know, I don't know exactly how we got to this point. One thing that we talk about, um, and I don't know that it's, I think there is actually water out there, enough water to, to irrigate for a while. It's just about using it as efficiently as possible. Um, and so that's really what the program's about is, you know, just trying to help farmers irrigate for as long as possible, as efficiently as possible. Um, And yes, there is a lot of tension about how much water um, is out there for to be used. Um, One thing we talk about is there's this um, concept of use it or lose it, where it's like, if I'm not using as much water as I possibly can, Mm -hmm. um, somebody else is going to get it. And so I think that that's one thing that we'd like to try to step away from. And I think most farmers are. Um, So we really just um, are here to help farmers uh, get the most use out of their water as possible so that um, it's there for generations to come. Um, Maybe Brandy, Brandy, do you want to step in and kind of talk about Brandy Bouquet joining us. She is the program coordinator for the Master Irrigation, Master Irrigators. I'm sorry. Hey, Brandy, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you all this morning? Uh, Fabulous. Great. So thank you, Susie. Yep. Um, Like Trent said, I'm the program coordinator 
for Colorado Master Irrigator. And, you know, the question of how we got there, got here is kind of, um, a little bit controversial in and of itself, but the fact remains we have a limited resource in the Ogallala aquifer and too many straws sucking from it. So, um, like, like Susie said, energy, I mean, water use and efficiency, you know, we, ha- it's, it's important. We need it. Um, because it is a non-renewable resource. We just don't get the recharge in the Ogallala aquifer like we need in order to sustain the levels of the irrigation that we've kind of gotten to. Um, if you look at some models and some interpretations of the, the static water level measurements of our aquifer in our entire basin from the early 1960s when we started issuing irrigation permits and, and drilling a bunch of wells, to today, you can see the dramatic changes um, in our aquifer. And it's just simply because of use and not enough recharge and valid use. Like you said, we need the food, we need, we need the water. Um, but unfortunately, we're using it all up. So we've got to figure out ways to sustain it. All right. So this question may sound confrontational, but that's not the intent. Are we sure there's not recharge taking place? There is a little bit of recharge. Absolutely. There is a little bit. It's mm-hmm. just not enough to compensate for what we're actually using. And, and, it, and it varies across the basin, depending on which, you know, in the northern parts, they, they get a lot of recharge. In kind of our southern, you know, areas, there's hardly any. Mm-hmm. Well, we know your part of the country has been dry for quite some period of time. Um, but I don't honestly know myself how that recharge of the Ogallala aquifer actually occurs. Can you walk us through that? Either one of you. Um, I can speak a little bit to it and Brandy could probably fill in some more details. Um, but basically if you think about the aquifer as, um, kind of like, when it goes through the soil, there's different, um, different types of soil are, are, um, more permeable than others. Mm -hmm. Um, the parts that aren't, um, as permeable as what Brandy was saying in the Southern parts are sitting kind of more on a clay layer where it's really, it just takes a really, really long time for it to go back into the, into the soil. Um, and the parts where it tends to percolate better is where there's sandier soils. Um, so it just comes through faster. And um, that's what I know about that. <laughs> so what <laughs> I, I heard you say was that you're, everybody's reliant upon the sandhills of Nebraska to recharge the water and the Ogallala Aquifer correctly. <laughs> I say that with a bit of humor, by the way, yeah. just so everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. Because I know everybody who lives, particularly in Morgan County, Colorado, is mm -hmm. reliant upon Nebraska for making their life better. That's just what it's been about for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Brandy, you're wanting to weigh in on that, I can see. (laughs) Oh, no, this is your show. I'm being very, very reserved. (laughs) No, you're not going to be reserved. You're going to be fired. And I'm going to get somebody named Brian on here. <laughs> I like it. Yes. <laughs> um of course we lean on Nebraska. We everybody loves Nebraska. 
mm-hmm. and Kansas and, and Colorado. We're all big, one happy family. We're all facing the same, the same issues with the same aquifer. And so, yes, there, there's definitely benefits to being associated with the Sandhills. I suppose for our listeners in places like Worthington, Minnesota and Missouri, Clinton, Missouri, we should explain that there has been some rather large, expensive legal battles along (laughs) this line. And so the underlying story that we're not telling you that I'm just making sure you have the background on is that there's been some history there. And I'm just going to close this segment by reminding everybody that life is better because of the Nebraska Sandhills. That's just the perfect <laughs> place to be. We're going to take a break. We will continue to talk about water, all things water, and the Master Irrigators Program in the Republican River Basin. We'll be back with more Rural Route after this. Let's talk about healthy living for a moment. I want to remind you that Dr. Nathan Bryan was on this program last week on Friday. He explained the importance, the vital essentialness of nitric oxide. We've demonized nitric oxide. We've demonized cholesterol. We've demonized components of healthy living, and we need to get back to the basics. If you would like to get back to the basics when it comes to human health, nitric oxide is a supplementation that I suggest you take from some level, beetroot, powder, something. What I take is NO2U, and you go to the website NO2U.com. N-O, standing for nitric oxide, number two, letter U, dot com. And when you put Trent in the coupon code, you pay no shipping, free shipping, and 10% off of the purchase price. Trent is your coupon code, N-O-2-U, dot com is the website. Now, it's not just a place to order. You want to understand everything that we're talking about here in terms of why nitric oxide is important for cardiovascular health, why it's important for the immune health, why it's important for brain clarity. Everything revolves around nitric oxide production. And you're doing things to limit it. Supplement your life with nitric oxide. Detail. I don't care. Here's the deal. I love bacon. And I don't care how much cured meat you eat. You can't get enough. It's only about 15% of your total needed dietary nitrate. You have to supplement. That's just the way that it is. Leafy greens are high in nitrates. That's a good thing. All right, no2u.com. Put Trent as your coupon code. Get more details and really go into the science. I've had so many people read the books of Dr. Nathan Bryan. They're like, man, everything just makes sense to me about healthy living now. Thanks to Dr. Nathan Bryan. No2u.com. Trent is your coupon code. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Luce alongside, alongside at the moment. We have two beauties, Susan Hutton joining us and Brandy Bocaro. I think I did better the first time, Brandy Bocaro. Bocaro. Yep. Yep. Okay. You got it. You got All right. it. Uh, Susan, why are you in this water fight? Why are you the communications specialist for an irrigation outfit? Well, I um, grew up in Denver, Colorado. Uh, well, around Denver. Grew up in Castle Rock. Um, did 4-H and animal science for a long time. Um, you didn't screw up I, and go to Colorado State, did you? Oh, I might have done that. <laughs> I might <laughs> Uh, you should say that proudly. No, Trent, <laughs> I, I chose Colorado State. It was my place. 
<laughs> you know what? I chose uh, Northeastern Junior College is actually what I that chose. That actually sounds like I, a good choice to me. Yeah, it was a great choice. I went to CSU. Um, I thought I was going to be a vet for a while, um, but I ended up finding out that really what I wanted to do was um, help help farmers tell their stories um, and help ranchers tell their stories, especially to um, people that I grew up around more in the Denver area um, and just try to make sure that they were heard. Um, And so I did a lot with extension first. Mm -hmm. um, And now that I'm with the Colorado master irrigator program um, and in the soil and crop science department at CSU working with them. I just, I'm learning a lot and I'm learning that there's so much that I didn't know about the politics behind water, um, how it affects everything along the supply chain and, um, you know, how we're really reliant on farmers to make the, the world go around. And so I just, um, I don't know everything, but I, I want to help as much as I can. So that's why I'm here. So while I'm sure there's like two or three people listening who said, see, that's just what we need. Another suburban Denver chick trying to educate mm-hmm. about agriculture. I oh. heard something else, Susan. Yeah. I heard that I didn't know anything about what it took to get the food from the farm to my mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. And your learning curve every step of the way because you didn't grow up entrenched in it like so many of us. Right. You, you have these aha moments are like, oh, this is what people need to know because I didn't know this. And, and if you apply right. that correctly, that makes you the perfect person to communicate the importance of water to the non-farm public. Because quite frankly, I would think the farmers all understand the importance of access to water. Yeah, I, I'm not here to tell farmers that, you know, access to water is important. Um, I'm here to you know, on this program to say that this program has a lot of good incentives, um, you know, money to be gained from going through a 32 hour course. Um, But on the other side, I do want to be there when all of the farmers get together um, in this class to hear what their concerns are. Um, And so that I can take that back to CSU and to, um, the people in the front range area to say, look, this is what our farmers are saying and this is how we can help them. Um, so that's, that's what I'd like to do. It's a two way street for me. And, and I also heard you say in that, that we didn't ex- exactly explain how the master irrigator program work works mm-hmm. and that there's accreditation and it's, while we're not communicating the importance of adequate water to the farmer, maybe we're communicating how to be as efficient as possible with the water that we have. Yeah, I think so. Um, So the class is, uh, it's 32 hour class over um, four weeks, every Wednesday, uh, January 12th, January 19th, January 26th, and then February 9th. Um, and we go through a whole range of topics from, you know, residue management to well capacities, the local economics and poli- uh, policies, um, and also just uh, some of the newer technologies, uh, telemetry, imagery sensing, uh, some of the older technologies like 
soil moisture sensing and things like that. Um, you know, I know that we're talking to farmers who have been doing this for 20 years and they know a lot about all of the topics that we're talking about. But um, what I've heard some of the alumni say is that it's it's not about learning brand new things all the way through. It's about getting those nuggets that kind of link everything together uh, that make it better. Um, and I think there's a few strategies in there that, you know, maybe farmers have heard about, but they didn't think really applied to them mm-hmm. for any reason. Um, VFD technology is one of those um, that we've had a few farmers get more interested in and just um, irrigation scheduling. What, what, oh, what technology was that? VFD, VFD? which is mm-hmm, variable frequency uh, driver. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. Sorry. Variable, variable frequency drives. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Um, the which voice is, from above drops in. Thank you. The proper <laughs> D. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so this is, this is coming up and anybody mm-hmm. listening, um, can sign up to participate and be a part of it. Any one of these events or do you need to go to all of them to get your 32 hours? Um, so anybody who's in the Colorado portion of the Republican River Basin is eligible. And those counties, um, are basically all of Yuma County, all of Phillips County, and then, uh, most in parts of Sedgwick, Logan, Washington, Lincoln, and Kit Carson County. Um, and so you do have to go to all of the classes. Um, but on the other end of that, you'll get $1,250 for completing all of those courses and then up to, uh, and then, uh, $250 every year after that for three years, uh, for completing an annual, uh, survey about water usage and what you learned and things like that. So, and then also, um, uh, by the way, Susan, before you say, and also, that's nearly $40 an hour you're going to pay me to set in these classes? Yeah. That's probably better than milking cows. I don't know about milking cows, but I think it's pretty good. <laughs> it's more money than I make. Where, where, does that money, where, where does that money come from? <sighs> I would think that people would just want to be master irrigators for the benefit of being better, but you're you're enticing mm-hmm. them with, is this Biden wasteful money? Is what, what's, going, what's going on with this? Uh, <laughs> well. Uh, let's see. The grant came through in 2019. So, oh, we can't blame Biden then, can we? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do, can I, can I step in on this? Sorry. (laughs) So, um, yes, we want to incentivize people to come in because what we're doing is we are, um, mimicking an approach that came from a meeting held by Kawa. And I'm sorry, I don't know the, the meaning of the acronyms there. But uh, Nebraska NRD manager came out and was discussing about how um, the state of Nebraska, you know, when when facing all these Ogallala issues and the depletions of the aquifer and stuff, the state of Nebraska decided to incentivize their producers to reduce, excuse me, reduce their water use with with money. And I was like, wow, why can't we do that? Right. And um the manager simply said, you know, we took the care approach as opposed to the stick approach. And 
I just thought that was a fantastic idea. So what we did is, you know, we got this program together and we went to various places that were in support of the same thing to do this carrot approach as opposed to the stick report approach because Colorado Master Irrigator is by no means a regulatory um, program whatsoever. It's all voluntary, but here's a carrot. Come check it out and learn or hear maybe something that you've known your entire life, but see how it's actually being used by some of your neighbors, um, by other people throughout the basin, and it actually works. So um, it's funded through, initially through, we got some grants from our local groundwater management districts via mm-hmm. the Republican River Water Conservation District. Um, we also were able to get a small grant from Colorado Water Center. And then we were lucky enough to be awarded larger grants through what is called our Water Supply Reserve Fund through our South Platte Basin Roundtable. And then a water plan grant through the Colorado Water Conservation District or Board. So we've been able to go through different avenues to get different grants. Um, this was all in 2019 prior to our first 2020 class. And then recently this last I guess fall, September, we were awarded another water plan grant from the Colorado Water Conservation Board and a smaller grant from a smaller but significant grant from the drought stimulus grant through the CDA. So yes, there is some funny, but some, what did you call it? Biden money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> there is, there is some in there now, but not originally. We have to go to a break. We will continue to talk about master irrigators in the Republican River Basin in Colorado. But first, I want to remind you, Lone Creek Cattle Company, providing opportunities for cattlemen to get paid properly. There's an incentive there as well. Produce tender beef, get paid properly. Closer to the consumer's food dollar, premium of $180 per head. Details at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. We're back with the second half. All water, all day after this. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Luce, alongside at this moment, Susan Hutton and Brandy Bocara. Uh, Brandy, you used the analogy of the carrot versus the stick. Um, just think about how many people would want to sign up if you'd use bacon versus a stick instead of a <laughs> carrot. I, I don't think we could we could allow that. I, mean, I don't think we'd have the incentives to We don't have enough that. grants for that. Is that no, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, so how many people do you think will participate or is there a limit? Do you have to race to get in on this? There is a limit. Um, we limit it to 25 participants every year just to make sure that, uh, that's kind of the sweet spot where we have enough, uh, participation and conversation going on between the producers. Um, but it's not so big that, you know, you feel like you're just one in a crowd. Uh, we want everyone to feel like family when they come in. So that's our goal. Um, and we still have um, a lot of spots open. So we're hoping to, you know, get the word out there about the Colorado Master Irrigator Program and get people in here. And you, I believe you rattled off four dates. So you go four mm-hmm. eight-hour days? Uh, it's more like eight, four down. Eight-hour, four days. Wait. Four days for eight hours is what I mean. Um, so, yeah, that will be January 12th 
uh, January 19th, January 26th, and then February 9th. But because I live in Nebraska, I can't participate and get paid $40 an hour to sit in this class? Do you farm yeah. in Colorado? <laughs> What's the relevance of that? It's Biden well, money. You don't care who gets it. You just want to give it away. It is Colorado, Master <laughs> Irrigator. Although I can say, you know, there are people in Nebraska looking to start their own Master Irrigator program too. So something that, I'm sorry, that hasn't been discussed yet is we didn't come up with this idea ourselves. You know, we adapted a program from Texas that's been running since 2016. And there are many states along the Ogallala Aquifer that are um joining together to create their own master irrigator programs. So, so don't be upset yet. Nebraska is likely coming. And <laughs> just right mm-hmm. now, this is the Colorado yeah. version. Well, I'm just giving a hard time, Brandy, because I don't actually <laughs> farm. I don't irrigate anything. If it doesn't eat and uh, defecate, I don't own it. That's the, But I rely on people <laughs> who do irrigate. And I have to tell you that my eyes were really opened uh, several years ago now, probably 15, 16 years ago, I was in Olton, Texas, and I was speaking at a cotton meeting. And uh, I don't know much about cotton because I don't happen to live in cotton country or never raise cotton. So I went out and spent the day on the farms with individuals. And that was the first time that I saw drip irrigation. And, and it was explained to me, you know, just our center pivots we use a lot of water and it, it's pretty apparent that whether we have a receding Ogallala aquifer or not, we need to use the least amount of water possible. Although I will remind everybody that we have the same amount of water on the planet that we had when Jesus walked the planet or when Jesus was born. It's just, it's not in the same spot. And and so it, it behooves all of us, no matter what our thought process are, no matter what our political ties is to find out how to use the least amount of water to get the greatest production. And that at the end of the day, that's what I'm hearing. We're trying to make happen, Brandy. Absolutely. And so is, I don't think I can make that sound any better. <laughs> I think that <laughs> sounded perfect. Well, thanks for tuning in today, guys. We have uh, accomplished everything that we needed to do. <laughs> Susan was looking <laughs> at the clock and she's like, I don't think this is right. (laughs) I was just just kidding. When somebody says I did something right, I'm going to tune out because there's nowhere to go but downhill, Brandy. So I just thought we're going to get this over with. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No worries. Hmm. So who who is the instructor in this type of a a process? Actually, we have quite a few instructors. Um, We really try and get um, a lot of different, not just, um, extension agents or, um, you know, people who are in the industry of irrigation, but also local farmers coming out to talk about the experiences that they've had um, and the successes and failures that they've had farming out in the Republican River Basin. And um, also this year, we're going to have the alumni of the uh, Colorado Master Irrigator Program from 2020 come in and talk about um, you know, what they've gotten out of the class too is a little bit of it. Um, you know, and I think, uh, now would be a great time to bring no, in Brian. No, that's oh, not a good sorry. time. We'll, we'll say Brian, we'll save him. He's like okay. the, the relief pitcher going to come and shut down the whole thing. Uh, okay. one thing that you might have said that I, I missed or wasn't paying attention because I've been told I don't listen so good. 
how long has this master irrigator program been in place in Colorado? So we, our first program was in 2020. Okay. Um, it was a really good, successful program. Uh, we had to cancel 2021 because of COVID. And so now we're in 2022 getting ready for it and uh, just trying to get the steam that we had from 2020 back into the Republican River Basin. I think uh, things happened and we had to cancel and, uh, you know, people kind of, uh, got back into the groove of things. And so we're just trying to be back um, at the front of people's minds right now. Brandy, I'd like to come back to you because I'd like to gauge how much interest there is. I know we're still a month away and I don't do anything till the last minute. You said there's spots available, but I'm assuming this is something that people want to be a part of, whether they get paid or not. Well, that was, that's our hope. Um, it's it's kind of hard to get the message out because of the couple things that you said. You know, a lot of people don't want to hear more city folk telling them how to how to farm, and that's certainly not what our program is. Um, and and people are busy. It's just busy. You know, it's hard to get out there and, and be out in front of everyone and and tell them about this program because it's it's one thing to say the name. You know, come join our Colorado Master Irrigator Program. I'm going to pay you forty dollars an hour, like you said. But it's another thing to to dedicate 32 hours and and sit and and absorb and listen to some information um, that may or may not pertain to you at that moment. You know, again, we stretch information across the entire basin. So there's going to be some stuff that only applies to those with the sandy soils. And then there's going to be some stuff that applies only to those with, you know, the less sandy soils. And so... Um, I, I think everybody should come and listen. I think everybody would be very, um, can take a lot out of each session. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, I, we have seats available. I hope more people but, but sign Brandy, up. Brandy, <laughs> not to be critical of you, but mm-hmm. part of that is your fault. Uh, it, it is. I mean, if you go back to the bacon versus the stick thing, instead of telling who wants a carrot, don't, I, yeah, don't I offer agree. carrots, offer bacon on the hour. Everybody gets a piece of bacon every hour. You're going to fill up in no time flat. If it if it helps, we do provide a pretty good breakfast. You know, um, is there in bacon? 2020, is there bacon? There, were, there wasn't bacon. That okay, was the problem. See, You're it, right. Herein lies the problem. We figured out the problem. We did. We did. Although we had a really good barbecue lunch. Does that? Oh, count? okay. Well, that helps, but that's not bacon. Uh, uh, one other thing you said I want to expand upon: How diverse is the Republican River Basin in terms of all of these, in terms of water usage, in terms of crops grown, in terms of you've alluded two or three times to the different types of soil, whether it be clay or sand or whatever the case may be. Kind of give us a a pictorial, big big picture view, Brand, if you would, of how diverse this whole irrigation district is. Well, um, it's just as dessert, excuse me, as diverse as pretty much the entire Ogallala Aquifer. So, you know, you've got eight states that cover um, the entire aquifer and the Colorado portion of it seems to somehow get a little bit of each of those. Okay, maybe not all eight, but um, so we've got the sandy soils like what you would find in Nebraska. We've got the clay soils, kind of what you find um, a little bit closer to Texas. Now, 
something that I have to tell you is obviously, as you could tell by how I'm speaking, I'm not a producer. I'm not a farmer. I'm, I'm not a hydrologist, nothing. I'm just a very um, stubborn person that sees a problem and wants to find a way to fix it. (laughs) So I just organize the classes and I rely on the experts to actually teach it. But from what I've seen, um, we have all the scenarios and we actually gain a lot by learning from our, um, our neighbors and seeing, despite the difference in the soils and stuff, seeing the practices that they use and how we can implement some of them on our own um, has been quite helpful. I, I, I think with the 2020 class and, and just in speaking with each other, um, I'm kind of sorry, diver- getting a little off topic here, but <clears throat> One of the things with our program is it's not just sitting through and having a 32 hour dry class where you take notes and, you know, you can take a test later because there's no tests or anything like that. We, we put in a lot of time for our participants to discuss amongst each other to, to really, um, talk. That's what we want. We want to put these peer to peer experiences together so that you can learn from your neighbors so that you can, you know, see what other people are doing. And see if it maybe will help you at all. Uh, quite frankly, if you did not leave time and emphasize the importance of networking and people who show up to visit with one another, there's no way this is going to be a success because I don't care who the presenters are, how efficient or how credible they are. The value comes in planting a seed with the individuals that are present in the audience and then allowing that to incubate throughout the audience and the network. And that, that, that's the value of every conference, every public gathering that we could ever come up with. And, and so I'm really glad you brought that to the forefront because that's where it's at. Absolutely. Every one of our days, the first day is quite intense with information. It's just hard not to. But every other day, the, the last three days are just, um, there's at least one, if not two or three opportunities to really sit and talk to your peers and, and interact with a producer panel. That's one of the big things that came from the Texas program is having not, you know, um, academic experts, but having local producers or, or people with similar um, issues come up and discuss their experiences and what they've been able to do and how this works for them. And our participants can interact with those panels. And I think those are huge in, in making it all really sit, you know, really come home. <clears throat> Excuse me. Bringing it home in the last segment of today's program will be a volunteer and a farmer. Part of the Master Irrigators program, Brian Lingel will be here and we will discuss the real world applications Thanks to Brandy setting it up as a problem solver before we get there. I want to remind you that Protect the Harvest, make sure that you have the same access to information that we're talking about here. But this is about across the board in the bigger picture of property rights. There's a lot of people challenging our property rights. And water, by the way, is one of our property rights. Protect the Harvest networks you with other people, like-minded folks, to get the right information. Details at protecttheharvest.com. It's just a repository of information. We're back with the last segment of Roll Route after this. Welcome back. Roll Route, Trent Luce. I don't know, Brian Lingle, how we could set it up any bigger than that but it's like we teed it up and it's up to you to hit the home run here yeah it seems to be we 
we are pretty blessed to have Brandy and Susie organizing this uh, program. You know, producers like myself can benefit just so many different ways, be it the financial incentives or just the, the wealth of information that we can apply um, in, our, in our daily operations. Of course, I just wanted to touch on some of those motivating factors that got me interested. I mean, obviously, being a fifth-generation rancher, fourth-generation farmer, um, just realize how important it is to, to sustain water availability for, for future generations. So um, that, you know, that becomes concerning to me if, if we are declining the aquifer. Like so many tell us, we are faster than, than that recharge rate. We, we certainly need to do the most that we can with, with preserving every inch of water that we apply. Um, and that cost associated with every inch of water that we apply just keeps going up with electricity and and certainly with these steel linear pivot systems the the cost of of replacing them and and the cost of tires and the unavailability of of gearbox components and and things you hear about nowadays we you know need to do the best we can with with costs and and uh the systems that we use and all that you know does get covered with with this master irrigator course i i helped um advise um, the first year that we put this on, uh, sat on the advisory committee with, with several of the producers. So we have a lot of topics that, that are near, near and dear to our hearts. Um, and then so, I guess the well, last, but, oh, go, oh, go ahead. ahead. We'll go to the last thing and I'll have a discussion. The, the last, uh, I guess, motivating factor would be regulations that, that keep, uh, coming down our, our pipe and, and potential of, of metering water and, and metering quantity of water. And so when it comes to efficiency, not only cost efficiency, but making sure we apply water exactly when crops need it. And, and if we're going to be capped on a certain amount of water, making sure we use that most effectively. All right. So before I go to that discussion, I was going to have, uh, why don't you give us a glimpse of how restrictive water access has become? Well, water access, of course, Colorado capped uh, the number of irrigation wells a long, a long time ago, you know, before my time um, in, in the mid-70s or early 80s, as I understand it. Um, you know, currently Colorado has not been able to impose uh, metering restrictions other than the, the maximum amount of permitted water, which is usually about 30 inches pumped per, um, per acre. So that's quite a bit of water, uh, more than uh, most crops really need in, in a season, but um, not by um, not by a huge amount. That's for sure. Um, otherwise, the, the 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 bigger issue is in some regions is is running out of water. So maybe you know being only able to get say twelve or fifteen inches in in, in the first part of the summer and, and maybe running out. So I, I haven't had that experience, but you know we, we do know that the availability can be concerning from, from that perspective. Put in perspective, uh, what crops can handle 30 or 12 inches? Well, 12 inches especially is, is a very um, light population. Corn would maybe only support uh, two uh, cuttings of alfalfa versus, Mm -hmm. you know, a three or a four that a season could produce. Um, 12 inches, you know, certainly can support irrigated wheat, can support a forage uh, millet, but um, certainly not your 
your highest profitable crops, such as corn or potatoes or, or beets that, that some guys get into. Because a, a typical corn would be twice that, right? If, I mean, yeah, I'm not a corn it, guy, but it's probably 24. Yeah, in eastern Colorado, you know, you combine your rain amount, which is usually pretty pretty small. Um, it's going to need 20 inches. So if you can apply that extra 15, 18 inches, that, that's where you need to be to maximize um, yield a lot of the time. What about those sugar beets? I don't know anything about growing sugar beets. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know a lot either. Um, especially here in eastern Colorado, there, there's it's quite a bit of a travel towards um, more towards the front range to deliver beets. But um, I, I, I think those are even um, higher water use in, in above 20 inches. Per well, year. thanks to my quick duck, duck, go. It's uh, on the top side of corn. It'd be 22 to 28 inches of, of and I think that's important, Brian, just to put it yeah. into context, because for people that don't grow crops, you don't have a, a way to evaluate what it means to have 12, what it means to have 30. And the other part uh, that I wanted to, to come back and have the discussion about was quite frankly, maybe is as important as uh, getting the farmers together and talk about ways of seeking more efficiency. The fact that we're talking about it today sends a message to everybody in Colorado that, you know, farmers are not out there. And Brian, you said it in your first sentence, your fifth generation farmer. There is no way for the sixth or seventh generation. If you use all of the water in your generation, and, but that message hasn't seemed to resonate with the folks that don't irrigate. And I'm not going to say the folks in Denver, because quite frankly, if you don't irrigate, you don't really understand it. But maybe just the general perception that we talk about, look, we have a program in place called the Master Irrigators, and we're, we're working with farmers to be as efficient as possible. And maybe from a political standpoint, because everything's politics, whether we like it or not, it sends that message is that, well, you know, they're trying to do the best they can. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the key. I think the key message, um, we, we know that, um, we know that the, the value of land and, and things have really squeezed producers. And, and there are, there are sentiments that, that when you purchase a piece of property with water rights, you know, that, that, that entitlement and that value you paid, it's all part of the deal. And, and you're going to maximize the permit or, or maximize uh, the water now while it's available. But um, yeah, to have a little bit longer viewpoint, uh, longer term focus could be, uh, could be so beneficial. I think, you know, especially to future generations. So Brian, you said you don't grow sugar beets. Give us just a glimpse of what crops you do produce. Sure. I I have, you know, roughly 300 irrigated acres um, where I'm along the South Fork Republican river. We, Mm -hmm. you know, have taken old flood ground and, and placed center pivots Sometimes it only work at a 90 degree angle or, or half circle. So, um, I've got five pivots that, that do, uh, 80 acres of alfalfa and, and then, you know, 130 of corn and then rotate with some wheat and forage crops, um, to support a cow calf herd. So that's certainly what I use the water for. Not a whole lot of, of grain goes to market. Um, just, just enough to help support the diversity of the farm. So as we come to the close of the year 2021 and you're sitting there as a fifth generation, assuming you have kids, it doesn't, 
actually for this scenario, it doesn't matter. What do you see as the largest hurdle for yourself or farmers in Colorado, particularly the eastern half of Colorado, to be able to continue to keep the farm, the ranch, and the family? What what are those hurdles that most worry you? Well, um, certainly supporting cattle would be the, the, the biggest hurdle that, that irrigation can be most valuable for, I, I believe. Um, um, you Brian, know, let I, me back up. This is not an irrigation question. Okay. This okay. is a hurdle question. Sure. How, so I'm, I'm really trying to get at how high on the list irrigation is, but I want to know what your top three concerns are about continuing to be profitable and pass the ranch from farm from one generation to the next. What are the top three? Right. I think, I think the rural um, way of life and, and the different services that provided to rural communities is, is going to be the, the most important, you know, school sizes uh, community sizes are decreasing with with the expansion of, of farm size. So, you know, I think I think the uh, the community aspect would be probably number one, and um, just preserving that way of life, and and certainly any um, any interference or um, overtaxation or any other profitability challenges would be would be number two. Number three? <laughs> well, I, I actually do think irrigation would, would be number three with, with the way we have to farm in eastern Colorado with, with, the, limited, with the limited rainfall. I think mm. otherwise we're really um, going back to, to pasturing roots. And, and the way that you tied that together in profitability, which was your number two on the list. I love the number one one, by the way, community. I, I think that's awesome that uh, there's enough of a support group within our rural communities to continue to do what we do. And at the top of that list is schools. I love how you walk through that and, and profitability, you know, your tax base, your irrigation access, all of that could fit into the profitability sector. So uh, I think that was a very nice picture. Uh, Susan, we're back. We have one minute left. What do people do if they actually want to participate? How do they get a hold of you? Where, Where do we go from here? Yeah, um, so you can go to um, the Colorado Master Irrigator website, which is uh, um, coirrigator.org, and um, sign up today. Uh, You know, we will have classes in person in Burlington, Colorado, um, but also will be available for people uh, virtually, too. So if you are in the Republican River Basin, but can't make it down to Burlington for those dates. Um, we will be able to accommodate that through virtual classrooms and you'll still get every, um, you'll still be eligible. Susan, you and, can't get your bacon if you do it virtually. <laughs> well, you know, there's virtual bacon too, right? No, there is no <laughs> virtual bacon. You can't say that. <laughs> All right, Brandy, do you have a closing? You have the 30-second parting bits of wisdom for us today because you're the problem solver of the bunch. You told us you're the problem solver. Oh, goodness. No, I said I was the stubborn one that sees a problem. That means you're the problem solver. You have to be resilient (laughs) to be a problem solver. Nothing like pressure on the one that babbles. Um, You know, I, I don't really know how to close it up other than to thank you and say 
you know, we really appreciate this time that you have given us um, to come out and talk about all of our efforts that have been in the works for, it feels like many years, but looking back on the actual timeline, I guess it's just, you know, three or four years, but um, we hope to continue to bring everything that we've gathered and, and all that grant money and put it back in the pockets of our producers to help, you know, with this water efficiency that we're hoping to gain. Because everything that's beneficial to the Colorado farmer is beneficial to the consumer of not only the United States, Colorado, but the world. We have successfully journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. All three of us remind you, that's four of us, by the way. All roads do lead to a roll route.